0: Welcome, everyone, to Unsafe Space, deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. Uh, I'm your host, Carter Laren. I'm here with co-host, as always, uh, Carrie Smith. Carrie, say hi. Hi,
1: guys. Hi, guys.
0: Um, You can follow the show at Unsafe Show on Twitter. You can go to YouTube, uh, where Unsafe Space is the channel name, and you can go to unsafeshow.com. We have Facebook pages for both deprogrammed and unsafe space, so feel free to follow us there. Um, today we're, we're we're talking about fighting racism with racism, and, and in particular we have on uh, Dr. J.R. Miller. He is a professor of applied theology and leadership and the dean of online learning at Southern California Seminary. Dr. Miller has 20 plus years of pastoral ministry experience and a diverse educational background in science, theology, and philosophy. He's authored multiple books on church history, Biblical theology and leadership. Joe and his wife Suzanne enjoy the sun and surf with their three sons in San Diego, California. He also runs morethancake.org and a uh, video blog called uh, Off the Cuff VideoCast. Uh, Doctor
2: Miller, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Good to be here with you guys and connect.
0: Yeah, great to have you. So we we read we got connected actually because we read this article that you wrote uh, yeah. titled. I choose not to combat racism by becoming a racist. <laughs> and, uh, I think a lot of people maybe don't understand the, the, the kind of neo-Marxist, I think you call it the neo-Marxist, social justice construction yeah. of the concept of racism. Maybe you can start by just telling our audience, you know, what that concept is and maybe some, what, what you think some issues are with that concept.
2: Sure. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, it is great to connect with you guys. And uh, yeah, I, I actually came across you guys just so everyone knows. I think Carrie had written an article, I think it was last year, 2017, when I was doing some research and what are people talking about this issue and came across her uh, writing a her in my article because I thought she had some good insights. And then I kind of internet stalked you guys and found out where you were. And Uh, So it is good to connect, and so I think you've been dealing with this issue uh, in different podcasts that I've seen, or video casts you guys have, and some writings. But what I mean by this is that you know we can all use the word racism, and it's sort of like a buzzword that gets nobody wants to be a racist. Everyone wants to be one wants to be against it, but the problem is how do we define it? And and I'll tell you the danger of just using a word that's undefined is this, is um, the best analogy I can come up with is if you have somebody who is a, a sexual predator, they use these grooming techniques. They're called grooming. And what they do is they talk to you know, children, and they use words and they use language that makes them feel comfortable with the predator. It makes them sort of ingratiates them to the predator. And then pretty soon they realize they're using these words much differently than the child has the impression of. So it's like, oh, I love you. I care about you. Well, if you loved me, you'd let me do X, Y, Z, you know? And so they use these grooming words to get gain the confidence of unsuspecting children. And then eventually, you know, you know, molest them or you abuse them. And I think that's really what's happening in a lot of the sort of social justice warrior crowd is that they're using a word that we all say, oh, that's terrible, but they're fundamentally defining it with a worldview that actually promotes the thing that they, that they hate the most, which is, or they say they hate, which is racism. Uh, And so, I I mean, I can get into details how those are defined, but uh, just make sure that that makes sense so far where, where my framework for this was. I, I
0: think so. And frankly, uh, you reminded me that grooming is one of those words I hate because I hear yeah. like stories about grooming gangs and I'm like, they're not grooming gangs. They're rape gangs. Yeah. But they they, they <laughs> use this word grooming and grooming sounds like to me when I hear the word grooming, I think of like, you know, combing a dog or something, which is a
2: very <laughs> well passive, nice thing to do. I, well, I think it. I think it is. A, you can. You can certainly conceal the true meaning, and I think that is a danger of any kind of language we use. We can conceal our true intent in a language, and and by using this sort of connotative meaning, what the feeling uh, evokes, a f- uh, the, the word evokes a feeling in the hearer, and then, but we really mean the denotative meaning. We really mean something else by it, but we're relying on the fact that it will be misunderstood. a way to manipulate and so in that sense i think the word is is valid but it can be bad i mean even the word um you know sexual uh, offense you know what is what is sexual predation well what is what is what does it mean to be offended those words all change in very different meaning uh what they are so in this case with racism though uh, the word grooming aside uh, (laughs) but uh for the for most people i think historically as a here and as a Christian, I would define racism as any sort of uh, bigotry that's that's that arises, sort of a discrimination that I'm willing to to impose on somebody, whether in the way I treat them or the institutions that I build that that are rooted in um, a dislike of skin color. Okay, so let's put race as skin color. We'll ignore some of the biological implications of what race is or if it's a social construct, that kind of stuff for now. But just say, okay, your skin color is different or I don't like you because of this skin color thing. That's what most people would realize. And they'd say, okay, everybody, anybody can be a racist in that sense. But for the social justice concept, because they adapt uh, a, a new sort of Marxist, the, what I call the neo-Marxist framework, they say, well, it's impossible for somebody who is non-white to be racist mm-hmm. because racism is defined by power and my ability to control you. And it's not even by a quote unquote minority status because you could be in a minority like in say South Africa where the white people were the minority population but they held the power. So they, they were still in a position of power. So it, it's not about numbers, it's about pure power. The problem is that if you step outside of those power groups, you don't have any inherent value yourself. And so it's a dehumanizing framework as opposed to the other framework which recognizes anybody could be a racist.
1: I, I wanted to add something here. You're you're absolutely right that that because I used to be in this belief system, you know, as we've talked about, and they it's been a concerted effort for them to redefine the terms racism and sexism. Uh, to include yeah. that they they say you know just to break down it's prejudice plus power. But even within their own definitions, there's there are problems that are very obvious. And I wanted to know what you thought about these because they don't. And, and you talk. I think you talked about this a bit in your article. They define power uh, strictly on a, in a collective basis, like they define yeah. it based on what groups you belong to, not on your individual ability to inflict yes. power. So I could be a very powerful individual, but because I. A woman, therefore, I don't have power. You know, they define yeah. it based on my group status.
2: Yeah. So the they do this. It's called intersectionality is the fancy word that's used. But it, it's what it creates is a hierarchy of value. So what people have to understand, and this is why I wrote this particular post and what I try to work through with my students to understand is that if we're saying we're we're in favor of human rights and human dignity, all those kind of words, what whatever they might mean to different people. What what the social justice warrior, what this group of people really mean by that is that individuals don't have rights. They don't exist because the individual human being has no inherent value or worth in a neo-Marxist system. Only your value as you are a member of one of these groups, these, these intersecting groups, your, your participation in that group is what gives you value. So if you are a white male you are considered to have the most power therefore you're at the bottom of this rung. So you carry as a, as a white female you're above the guy in terms of your uh, you your state of oppression therefore your your value is is greater. Mm-hmm. But if you are a black female she would be above you on this intersectionality And so you can go group by group you know if, uh, transgender black, female who identifies as you know and you can add all the qualifiers and that's the reason why all these groups have to add more and more qualifiers because they're competing for victimhood status Mm -hmm. and the more victimhood you can claim the more justified your position is but if you step outside of that like we do our show off the cuff with one of our guys is is an african-american he's a black guy Uh, and so leroy he has some opinions that are not what a black man is supposed to have. So he's told. So he's told all the time. He's an Uncle Tom. You're not a real black man. And so, because he steps out of his viewpoint, which is approved for his racial makeup, for his skin color, he is. It's okay to abuse him. It's okay to verbally assault him. You can call him the N word. You know, which is taboo. But he can be called those names. It's okay because he's outside of that. He stepped outside of the bounds of that victim group. So therefore he no longer has rights as an individual. It's only if he aligns himself with the group status.
1: That's a great way of putting it. They just go yeah. quickly, Carter. I want to add that like look at the way they treat nope. Candace Owens. I think we've talked about her before.
0: I was just going to mention her, so thank you for
1: bringing <laughs> her up. <It's- laughs> We're on the same wavelength yes. today. Well no, she's because she's supposed to be a high priestess of the movement. It's it's a uh, you know, she checks off a lot of the victimhood boxes, but because she uh, doesn't, she doesn't preach the ideology and she rejects the collectivism. She rejects this this belief system. Then, I mean, she's just fair game. They, she gets all kinds of abuse from people online. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen.
0: It, it's the thing that bothers me most about this is the fundamental anti individuality philosophy behind it. Right. Yes. Um, and you know, Carrie's a Christian. So you and you and Carrie are in the same camp there. I'm an atheist. I'm a a newbie Christian. (laughs) That's, that's fine. That's fine. But, um, I'm, you know, I'm still an individualist and even philosophically, I think it's, um, I think it's a philosophical contradiction to give groups value without giving individuals value. I mean, groups arise that the value of a group arises from its constituent members. And if each constituent member is equal to zero, then the sum is equal to zero. So you have to value yeah. individuals before you can even think about groups. And this is really turning the whole thing on its head, but it's not new. It's, um, you know, you call it neo-Marxism and, and you're not the only one. I mean, we call it that too. Um, this really dates back to the the Marxist ideology of pitting class against class. Yes. And that didn't work out really well historically. And they've kind of switched their game a little bit.
2: Yeah. And I think you're right. And, that, and the two things that come up is first, what I appreciate about doing the show, and why I wanted to come on today, was because, you know, you you are an atheist and Carrie is a Christian, and I think that people have to realize this is not a Republican Democrat issue. This is not a Christian versus atheist issue. There's a fundamental worldview philosophy that undergirds this change uh, in how we view people and the value we ascribe to them. Now you. You know, Carter, as an atheist, would have a different, say, foundation for saying an individual has value. Than to say, I was a, as a Christian, saying it's in our created worth, and you know how God made right. us in the beginning, uh, validated in the incarnation of Christ. So I have a theological framework for that 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 undergirds my philosophical op- the implications for that. You have a different one, but still we're arguing for the same thing ultimately, which is to value the individual. But this this what again we're calling neo-Marxist framework rejects that. And here's why I would say people have to understand the reason for calling it neo-Marxist. I quote uh, Reinhold Niebuhr. Uh, he's, the, he's the bad brother of the Niebuhr brothers, by the way, for those who know Niebuhrs. Uh, his brother actually has some decent stuff. But, um, but Reinhold Niebuhr was, you know, he was a Marxist, a committed Marxist. A matter of fact, I got some guy on Twitter asked me, what is your evidence for calling him a Marxist? Well, you know, because I say he's a Marxist christian kind of idea thinking uh well he decried the what he did was he he rejected the marxism of say marx in the political structure and he said well we could actually take marxism and apply it to the western economic systems and we can still do this so he sort of went away from what he thought was the political dangers of marxism but he wanted the philosophical foundations of marxism so While he still talked about middle class and privilege and and lower class, you know, the oppressed, he did it by class structure. The neo-Marxism no longer does it by economic structures. They do it by race structures and gender structures. That's why I call them neo marxists because they still want the Marxist worldview. They just have a different way. It's not just about money. So they're willing to use other categories. And what it does is, ultimately, I was thinking about this yesterday, contemplating your show, and I I haven't even really fully thought this through, but get your opinion on it. So what they really do is they take a a Marxist, uh, in in terms of metaphysics, they take a Marxist axiology, which is the moral foundation for something. And they say that framework is power versus non-power, power power versus oppressed. But then they take a postmodern epistemology. It's like, how do we know truth? Epistemology means how we no truth postmodern epistemology said there is no such thing as truth it's my feelings determine what truth is so if you take that marxist framework of power structure based on my feelings what that does for the social justice warriors they say was you made me feel offended therefore you're wrong well how do you know your feelings are more valid than my feelings well i'm in this based on intersectionality my group is the oppressed group therefore my feelings determine truth as opposed to your feelings determine So they sort of mix and match those two systems, which is why it's neo-Marxist in that sense, too, because they're integrating postmodern epistemology again with sort of this neo-Marxist, you know, metaphysics in terms of moral framework. And that's the danger of it that we have to recognize. Again, it's purely dehumanizing. The individual has no value. Therefore, for Niebuhr, it justified in his book, Moral Man and Immoral Society. It might be wrong for you as an individual to take a knife and stab me, but for the society to do it. In other words, if there's groups of people that are oppressed, they're justified in overcoming that oppression, killing people if it equalizes power. Therefore, it's just to do that because it, the end goal is equality of power.
1: Which is they're literally I, saying that the ends justify the means.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And and that construction of kind of this, uh, I would call kind of a, a corrupt epistemological system, uh, where it's based on feeling, and the the Marxist class structure is a really good way to describe, I think, um, what they're up to. And if you look at Marxism historically, right, the, the 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 predictions of Marx failed. The 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 power structures that he thought would fall apart and naturally lead way to capital or capitalism would fall apart and and give way to communism because there was this class struggle that that didn't happen there was a lot of uh class mobility and general upward movement of everyone's uh standard of living and so i think you you ended up with a lot of marxist philosophers in this conundrum where they they like the ideology they like the philosophy but they can no longer argue it uh in the same form politically, because they would be laughed off of stage. So they have to mutate it somehow, and they've changed it to kind of racial identity and maybe, uh privilege. I'll put in quotes. Yeah. Uh, and and they're really doing, a, I think, a, a pretty good job of pitting us against each other based off of that structure.
2: Yeah. Again, that's where I, you know, that idea of. You know that the language I kind of like is the grooming language, only because, see, they're using. A, there's a kernel of truth in what they're saying, and, and and this is important to note. There is such a thing as racism.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: What I'm arguing, and I think what you guys agree is, there's it's not a denial of racism. Uh, so there's there there's truth to that. It doesn't actually also deny the reality of differences of how society has treated white versus non-white, black and white. And I trace on my blog, I do a whole series, Um, the early Darwinian science, the social Darwinianism of the the 1900s was rampant with the idea of, you know, well, blacks are lower on the evolutionary scale at the lower end of humanity. We had human zoos where uh, men like Otto Benga were brought in from Africa as an African pygmy and put on display at the New York uh, Zoo uh, in the primate cage. Because the best scientists of the day, I mean, these are the people that headed the, you know, the federal, all the federal commissions on science were saying, look, this is what we know from this sort of application of Darwinian theory, which Darwin himself actually was opposed to the, he was opposed to the the racist implications of his theory. But his problem was he had no way to get around it. And he knew that that was a problem, even though he was morally opposed to slavery, for example. He knew that his theory allowed for it to be justified. And it eventually was, you know, within his lifetime and in the early 1900s. And so you see that the society did structure things in a way that was oppressive to blacks. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that did benefit whites. So So what I'm arguing is not a denial that there has been oppression or denial that in some ways there are structures that exist that need to be corrected. But we can acknowledge those two things as true, that racism exists and that there is oppression and that there is... Uh, there are ways that systems oppress people without accepting these neo-Marxist categories, which inherently dehumanize the very people we say we want to help. So that's the danger. We got to be careful not seeing the kernel of truth and being our hearts being sort of moved towards that, which they should be moved to want to change those things, but we don't have to buy into that system to make those changes. We can make those changes in a way that values individuals and, and enhances what I would say is their inherent created worth. Uh, And so that, that's an important uh, again, distinction to that we have to make in, in evaluating this whole, this, uh, this intersectionality and social justice warrior movement.
0: Yeah. And as, as you're saying, if we approach it from the social justice perspective, we're actually exacerbating the very problem that that we're, yes. we're claiming to care about. So if we if you do care about racism um, and you do want to eradicate racism as your end goal, uh, social justice is the opposite of the way to do that. It's not it's not going to work. Um, yes. and, you know, also ignoring that it ever happened is. Is not going to work, and that also will perpetuate yes. racism. Yes. Those aren't the only two options, right? There's, there's, there's another option, which is people like individuals and recognize there have been uh, oppressed people for various reasons throughout history, yes. and and th- that's wrong. Um, you know, one thing that that struck me, you had I didn't I didn't really know anything about Reinhold Niebuhr, um, and so I I saw your your quote from him, and one thing that really struck me about him was uh, I recently finished reading Antifa's handbook. And they're very blatant about their willingness to use violence. Um, yes. and for those who don't know, Antifa is 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 pretty the entire uh, I'll say philosophical foundation of Antifa is uh, is neo-Marxism. And so, or originally actually it was Marxism. <laughs> so yeah. um not just neo-Marxism, but you know, that's their philosophic justification, and they are very open in this in their handbook about um the net, you know the moral uh permission to kill yes. and to create violence and to do kind of you know there's a group in the bay area called by any means necessary and it's, it's one of it's yeah. uh it goes hand in hand with the antifa and and they're willing, as Carrie said before, the ends justify the means, killing people and using any means necessary to achieve whatever it is their view of uh society should be, and, and again, their view is, is is in terms of classes and groups of people, it's totally fine to do that. And and yeah. there's no moral uh there's no moral qualms about doing that.
1: Well, and they, they change as, you know, as you, as you pointed out, Carter, once before they define fascist. So they're technically their, their name is supposed to mean anti-fascist, which I find (laughs) kind of crazy because they behave in very fascist ways. Just like you said, there's, it's, it's kind of analogous to SJWs say they're anti-racist or anti-sexist, but they behave in sexist and racist ways. Um, but so they, they're supposedly anti-fascist, but they, um, uh, What's the point I was about to make? I'm losing.
2: I bet losing. it was a great point, though. To, to it was them, a great point. I, I, point I, I had it.
1: to go off on the tangent of how it's analogous. Them. It's
2: Not Marxism.
1: <gasps> what you say? Oh yeah, yeah, that was the point. So they define fascists as anyone who's not a Marxist, which is a really large category of people. Then that you're willing to be violent towards, or and to yeah. use any means necessary against anyone who's not a Marxist, uh, yeah. and that's what I saw yeah. happening after the election with people on my quote unquote side on the left who were suddenly defining fascist or Nazi or Nazi sympathizer as being anyone who voted for Trump. And I'm like, yeah. well, that's, that's a large category of people that you're okay with. It's, it's like you said, um, Joe, it's dehumanizing.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think you bring up, you know, this Antifa thing is, is a great uh, illustration of some of the issues that come at play here. It's, it's the traditional playbook. It's a, it's a you know, communist play, playbook where you accuse your enemy of the very thing you do. And what it does is it, it, it you do it before they do it. That way, nobody can, oh, they're just saying, because I said it first. And then in the minds of people who don't know any better, there, it just sounds like you have sour grapes, so to speak. It just sounds like you're coming at them. Well, your mother, kind of like that's the the, the <laughs> level of argument it comes sounds like to the to the casual observer. Well, you're they're accusing you of racism, but well, they are. No, they're the ones, and it just sounds like you're being a petty little baby, mm. and that's what we sound like to people who don't pay attention to the substance of what's being discussed. That's why they do that. Mm. Um, so it's uh, very strategic in what they do, but uh, actually there's an article out today that illustrates your very point. There's a guy who is a part of a group, uh, Antifa, who uh, his name is uh, Joseph or Jose Alcoff. And I don't know if you heard about this. I think it just came out today.
0: It was Uh, the Daily Caller article, right? Yeah, it was the
2: Daily Caller article, which is interesting. And I read through this this morning thinking about our talk today. wondered if we'd get to this or not, but, you know, I'm not sure how it went, but uh, he, he goes by Jose Alcoff or Joseph Alcoff. And, uh, his his uh, one of his secret names that he sort of went by for his more militant side was uh, Jose Martin, but he sort of identifies himself totally secretly on the internet and other places like uh, basically Jefe Al Jefe, I guess you know the the, the big boss kind of guy. Uh, but I read this thing, and it's fascinating because here's a guy who is highly placed in the the. Um, the leftist democrat circles and I and I use that term left as very distinct from liberal democrat probably most just so people know politically this is not a political issue in terms of left right Um, what probably most moderate Republicans today would have been considered liberal Democrat, probably in the 1960s. Um, and so these terms change in time what they mean politically. So people can't judge it by that. So I'm using leftist as distinct from even liberal Democrat, what is a traditional liberal Democrat, even though they carry that big D name, you know, <laughs> it doesn't mean what it used to mean. So these are leftists who are neo-Marxists. And this guy's been on the stage with like, California people like Nancy Pelosi and uh, Maxine Waters. He's been on stages and these people have tweeted out their support of this guy yet he is an antifa guy who has tweeted out things like I want Trump would be a great uh, person to have for a public execution you know with a guillotine. Wow. I can't I should be stabbed through with a pitch pitchfork pitchfork por- pitch publicly. You know, bringing back this sort of Marxist—you know—people with peach, pitchforks coming at the rich and the wealthy. He's called for the wealthy to be burned and killed publicly because they're wealthy. So this is what this guy argues for. This is his philosophical worldview, his neo-Marxist worldview. But he hides that it. That worked
0: in- well in Cambodia, if I recall. Yeah, I think that was a great idea. Yeah.
2: Mao would have been proud. Uh, yeah, this is not a white, black, Asian. Right? This is this is a philosophical philosophical system that has been adopted by Asians, by blacks, by anybody who's adopted it, it leads to the willingness to kill other people because they are less than human, you know, and I'll give an example, a political example where this is bad on both sides. So it doesn't sound like I'm picking a politics side. Everyone was, was, I think, rightfully angry at Trump. I have a post on my blog called Trump, uh, Uh, MS-13 gang members are not animals and neither is Trump. So I make both people mad because I think Trump is wrong to refer to those people as animals. And I get there's a point in history where when you could say, oh, those people are animals, there was an understanding because there was a common cultural acceptance that people had inherent worth or value that you can say that and you were describing their character. We don't live in that world anymore. So I I, I don't like that language in our current culture because I think, it, I think it is dehumanizing language. Whether people intend it that way or not, it is because that's the way that our cultural frames those words. So Trump is, I think, wrong to say that even these vile gang members who behead people and kill people to call them animals or dogs or whatever, that's not good language to use today because it doesn't, it doesn't frame well. It dehumanizes these people. It justifies maybe uh, you know, doing terrible things to them because it treats them. They are human beings who do terrible things is the way it should be said, but we don't need to dehumanize them. But what was justified is dehumanizing Trump for his dehumanization of these people. And you look at the language that was used against Trump, it treated him as less than human. And that also is a danger because whether you – despise what he's done or not whether you despise what ms13 gang members do what we need not do and we cannot afford to do is to buy into these neo marxist categories that allow for dehumanization because that justifies the gulags of russia the the concentration camps of nazi germany it, the you know the the death camps of pol pot all those things have been built on that same framework and that is what concerns me it's not democrat republican it's not you know liberal conservative it's this it's this progressive neo marxist social justice warrior philosophy that has been tried in history and always proven to result in the death and dehumanization of human beings and that's what concerns me mm-hmm.
0: do you think our our conversation has has devolved to the point where, I mean, when we talk about individualism, right, this, this is, we're built on the foundations of the enlightenment and this is where you know you have yeah. you have thinkers like John Locke um, really um, pushing this idea of individualism and helping change how we think about each other. And it seems to me that we've kind of devolved to the point where we're not really having intelligent conversation, you know, if I, I'm not a Republican yeah. or Democrat either, so I can kind of look on, on both sides and see, there's not really a conversation happening, right? There's the, yeah. you know, uh, the uh, these guys are animals, and then orange man bad, and that's the that's the extent of the dialogue, and it's yeah. just screaming back and forth. Um, have we have we just
2: gone to? Is it should we give up and go home? Is is is, is there no? Yeah. <laughs> we lost our ability to have <sighs> rational discourse. Well, I think your observation is right. And I I can, you know, I'll give a a brief summary of why and people something for people to search if they want to do some research. So, if you look look like guys like Locke or Hobbes, that are really fundamental to the American sort of system of justice and, and the way we are, they all bought into some version of natural law theory. You know, so natural law theory was rooted in the belief that somewhere along the way that there was a creator of some kind. It's not necessarily the Christian God or the Christian creator, but it was some sort of Judeo-Christian loosely deist God creator being (laughs) that, that even if it was nature itself that granted it, there was some sort of natural law idea that humanity had certain rights. Therefore, in the Constitution, when it says you know, we are given by our creator certain inalienable rights, was not necessarily a Christian phrasing, although it fits okay with a Christian worldview. But, there, you know, these guys didn't necessarily have what I would consider a Christian uh, theology. And that's okay. What they were essentially saying is that there is something that we cannot, the government does not have the right to take away because it comes from our observations of nature. And it's you're right, it's the enlightenment worldview. We can reason our ways into... Uh, understanding the world around us and reason tells us that nature must have these inherent values ascribed to humanity and therefore we can build our systems and any system that violates that natural law is, is bad. Any law that invalid, violates that natural law is, is corrupt and therefore you can't accept, you can, you can fight rightfully against the law that violates nature, the way nature made us. But this neo-Marxist system denies natural law. So that's, a, that's where the split comes historically. So this neo-Marxist framework says there is no such thing as natural law. We are purely a result of, uh, of the evolutionary random process. Uh, and, and so there's no, there's no foundation for ascribing from nature any moral uh, value to anything. It's just all random. It's all culture. Everything's culturally conditioned or culturally determined. So for the neo-Marxist framework, that's right. What you say there is, is good because conversation isn't necessary in that. All that matters is your category. Categories replace conversation. That's mm-hmm. the danger. So it doesn't matter what you have to say. What only what matters is what category are you in? And if you're in that category, and as long as you don't violate what you're supposed to say in that category, then all is well. Mm -hmm. But if you go outside and say something outside that, that violates that categorization, the grouping that you've been placed in, then you are persona non grata, you have no value, you can be vilified, and you can be killed according to some Antifa people and some social justice warrior, you could, according to Niebuhr, it's okay because you are no longer advancing the categorization of, of what is determined as valuable, the of categorization of human beings.
1: Um, I, um, that, and, you know, that's absolutely ahead, right. I just wanted to jump in quickly about my experience in the, in the ideology. Um, when you say, categories replace conversation, that's exactly what they're doing. They don't want a dialogue. They view the belief system as, you know, I've talked about it a lot as being, it functions a lot like a, a religion in some ways. Um, and so it, they don't believe that if you disagree with them, you're simply wrong. They believe that you're evil and mm-hmm. and that it's not worth speaking with you. And then, and then also they have, because you said, you know, intersectionality, they have this uh, hierarchy, this grouping of, Who's more valuable and who's not? And the more uh, you know, victim status you can check off, the more valuable your opinion, and the more you're allowed to speak, the more like a priest you are within the ideology. Um, and so they actually say, you know, one of the ways they avoid dialogue is by saying well, our power imbalance is such that it's not even fair for me to have a conversation with you yeah. because you're so much more powerful than me because of all of your oppressor groups that you check off. Um, yeah. But but even the words like I was working on, I've been working on this, what I call the SJW lexicon, uh, just like a dictionary of terms and phrases they use. And it's astounding at how many phrases they have that are meant to stifle conversation. Like they use mm-hmm. words, they use words as a tool to stop mm-hmm. dialogue. Um, and so almost all of what I call like their magic phrases, their magic phrases are meant to shut you up. It's not meant to find out. It's not meant to explain anything to you. It's not meant to explain their point of view. It's not meant to try and understand your point of view better. It's literally meant to tell you to shut up. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah.
2: You
0: know, and even Carrie, there's, um I, I've heard this before and I just did a quick Google search for this actually. Um, they view so so traditionally. I view logic and reason as because they're tied to reality. They're they're a way for us to have a dialogue and kind of reach agreement and understanding together. And kind of you could say, oh, actually, um, this follows from that, and this is tied to this observation in reality. And I can change my mind based on kind of being committed to using reason and logic in conversation. And they're even un- they're even attacking. The use of logic generally mm-hmm. as a, as white and there's a book I just <laughs> I just googled and I found this book right away. Um, there's a book called White Logic: White Methods: colon, Racism and Methodology. Right, mm-hmm. so there's this whole concept that even having rational
1: dialogue is racist. Yeah, mm-hmm. and sexist. Don't forget sexist.
0: Sorry. Yeah, and homophobic. If you want to put them out, on. your precious Carrie. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah you know there's there's great illustrations of what you guys are bringing up. I mean, Kerry, what you talked about ending dialogue. I know uh Portland had one of their colleges last year. they have a group um that says it's for you know non-whites only, and that's really the name of the group i mean it's they're pretty clear if you're not white, your uh, white people are not welcome, and they say even if they say that even to ask a person like if I were talking with somebody who is Uh, Hispanic or from Mexico, and I say, tell me what it's like to be in your experience of X Y Z. They say that even asking that question is racist. Mm -hmm. So to to even attempt to have a dialogue with them, they have defined as racism. Mm -hmm. So they say, well, tell me how it is for the experience of you as a woman. Well, that's sexist. For them because right. to ask the question, is itself racist? And that's exactly what you're and this is stuff enshrined in college groups. So you're not, I think people listening that aren't familiar think, oh, you know, Carrie's making that up. That nobody does that, nobody believes that it's true. And that goes to what you say, Carter, with, with the idea of, of language. Well, it goes even more so. It's it's language and grammar itself. So you have mathematics that have been determined as racist and sexist and homophobe, mathematics is sciences. Um, language itself. So that's why you get in University of Washington, I believe it was last year, their their department basically said that they came out with guidelines that says holding people accountable to the rules of grammar is sexist, is racist. Yeah, I saw because
1: that. Because we wow.
2: use the rules of grammar to oppress people uh, because they don't speak like we want them to speak. And those rules of grammar have been established by white Western European culture, which is fundamentally, you know, unsavable. You cannot save Western civilization. This is their viewpoint. So you can't, you can't even say that somebody uses bad grammar. You can't correct that because if you do, you're oppressing them. That in itself is dehumanizing in their view, uh, because it it keeps these category, it keeps the social structures of power in place. Uh, and and I, I'm even probably shouldn't, shouldn't use the word dehumanizing, although they'll use it, but they mean something different by that. They just mean you've you've put you've kept your oppressive power levels there. You're just using it to control them and oppress them. So that's yeah. a pretty dangerous thing when you can't use rules of logic like the law of non-contradiction. It doesn't matter if you are a Buddhist or a Hindu. Ravi Zacharias. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, Carter, but he's a Christian apologist. He's I mean, traveled the world for years. Um, he teaches out of Oxford now, uh, one of their little subschools and stuff. but he's a great guy. He was raised in India, um, came to Christianity after he tried to kill himself at seventeen. but he was debating with a a Western f- professor of philosophy here in the United States. And this guy was drawing him on this thing and telling him why the laws of non-contradiction and logic were all made no sense. And he was, and he, Ravi Zacharias, born in India, uh, was basically didn't understand Eastern religion, uh, <laughs> because he didn't. He was arguing <laughs> for these laws, and he said to him, he he said, uh, he said, I will tell you this. Even in India, we look both ways before we cross the street. So, in other words, you know, yes. you can say the yes. laws of contradict law, non contradiction don't exist, and they're a Western white oppressive thing. But if it becomes between you you and the car either you are crossing the street or the car is crossing the street at that moment, and one of you is going to lose. And that is not a Western white concept. That is a reality that we all have to face. Mm -hmm. But they don't want to face that. Very dangerous. I mean, I would argue that even using
0: words to try and communicate presupposes the laws of non-contradiction. When you say, you know, the law of non-contradiction doesn't exist, each of those words has a meaning, and you're relying on that meaning to have a unique meaning to me and not something else. I mean, otherwise you would just say like green jello, bebel borp and like that would mean something. <laughs> things have like things mean something and yeah. non contradiction exists. Like there is no, when you say you could easily just say back to someone who says non-contradiction isn't true. You could just say, thanks for agreeing that it's true. Yeah, right? It's they, they haven't, if, if it's really not true, they haven't said anything. Um, I, one of our, our chatters just gave me a term that I hadn't heard of before, Kafka trapping. Do yeah, you guys Kafka know this term? Kafka trapping? Uh, <laughs> so
2: I know Kafka is, but I'm not sure what Kafka trapping is. That's new. Now, me too. Is, well,
0: I, I looked it up,
2: right? Okay. Uh, <laughs> the
0: term kaf, Kafka trapping describes a logical fallacy that is popular with gender feminism, racial politics, oh. and other ideologies of victimhood. It occurs when you are accused of a thought crime such as sexism, racism, or homophobia. Though so it sounds like there's a term for, for <laughs> what we're talking about here, which is coffee yeah. trapping. Oh.
1: Well, one of you. the I forget who it was. I, I should have looked it up before we we talked about this, but it, you made me think of it, um, Joe, at the beginning. Was uh, I've heard some people now who are referring to the words like racist, sexist, homophobe, uh, xenophobe, you know, Islamophobe as new slurs because they they can function a lot like a slur if you're using it without any evidence or anything that you can point to to why you're calling a person this it actually it's there's a stigma attached to it and it's meant to isolate a person and to shame them and and uh and it's and it's used a lot like i mean like a slur but but that's something that i've heard recently is people calling them new slurs
2: yeah well and that's true because uh the reality of what, what's going on is that um this goes back to the postmodern epistemology that i mentioned at the beginning of the show so postmodernism really began as uh, a language uh, is a, is deconstruction of human language it began as a movement of linguistics that said language itself has no inherent meaning so the words don't have meaning They only have meaning because we ascribe meaning to them. Now, to illustrate this, they'll say like, well, for example, uh, and I'll use this with students and stuff, like uh, in Elizabethan England, uh, my my understanding is the word cute meant bowlegged. So today, it, you know, if I say somebody is cute, I say, oh, that means they're attractive or appealing in some way. But if I said that to a woman in Elizabethan England, I would have got slapped in the face because I'm calling her bowlegged. <laughs> today, I am say, oh, thank you, or be accused of a sex crime. I don't know. It depends on who I say that to. But, uh, you know, so, but they're say, so there's a difference when we say that their language changes in its meaning to saying it has no inherent meaning. So if I point to a table and say that's table, yes, That word is made up. I could have called it a buffoon, you know. Like you you said, a a bubble, you know, whatever. So the word doesn't necessarily have meaning, but it, but it denotes something that has tangible reality and meaning. So, but what they say is there is no meaning. That there is no inherent meaning. So for postmodernism, you get down this rabbit trail of there is no reality outside of my giving my perceived reality. And there's philosophers that we could go into that actually argue this sort of thing. Um, Back in the 1930s and 40s, scientists had the problem with a group called positivists who argued that there is no reality outside of what we ascribe. And uh, and physicist Max Planck, I have people on Google on my blog more than cake and just say Max Planck, they'll find an article about why, you know he argued vociferously against this as did einstein who wrote the the preface to his book on the modern state of physics he said look when the per- the whole purpose of science is to say that if you run an experiment and i run an experiment we can confirm there is some objective reality because we can get these same results if you buy into postmodern reality that denies language has meaning that denies that there's some sort of objective reality we have no way to confirm anything is true outside of our experience because personal experience is the final arbiter of that and so that's why we end up with this marriage of neo-marxist kind of metaphysics of what there are categories that are true by Based on power versus the epistemology of postmodernism, which says my feelings based on my intersectional reality determine the truth. But outside of that, the word has no meaning. So you can say anything you want to me, and what you meant by it is irrelevant as long as I'm offended by it. Yeah. So here's an example. We can take the song, The Baby It's Cold Outside. The song that's like right now, you know, the-
0: We're going to do a whole-
2: <laughs> Oh, good. Well, this I'll will be out by doing our homework. For I won't us. mess it up too much for you guys, but but like
0: no, no, it's good. yeah.
2: So here's the thing. In in the culture in which that song was, the day in which that thing, when she's saying "What's in this drink?" and "What are you doing to me?", there is a cultural facade that must be made. Really, what's happening is a, it's it's a it's a it's a sexually flirtatious song on both sides. She is not being, she's not being date rape drugged with, with the drink. That's not what she's saying when she says "What's in this drink?" She's giving what we would call today plausible deniability. Deniability, yeah, yeah. She's saying, "Oh my, I was." Oh, I think I have a case of the vapors, you know, or whatever, you know, it's, it's, she's having a, Oh, I just didn't know what overcame me. She's having a reason to, to the next day, be able to say, Oh, I just didn't even know what I was getting into. And culturally it was a nod, nod, wink, wink. Okay. She's okay. Because she, you know, it was just the way it happened, but we don't have to, we don't have to look down on her because of the the circumstances surrounding it. But everybody knew what was really going on. It was, she was just as much complicit in this, but we're saying, well, that meaning then doesn't matter because we're reinterpreting it. He slipped her a Mickey that was this sort of date rape drug and that's what's really happening. And it's sexual assault. That's reinterpreting in history. We call it presentism. We're reinterpreting the past through the way we see the present reality. And then that then defines the reality of what that song meant. There's a difference that we can't do that, but that's what postmodernism allows us to do.
1: So I, ha- I have another like example. You're, you're
0: dropping for nihilism's sake, right? It seems like the goal is just nihilism. And if you can drop context to destroy something, you will.
2: Yeah, it's total deconstruction of everything. So you have to deconstruct any existing system because they're all corrupt for a new system that they- equalizes power. But even as Niebuhr acknowledged and and those before him, uh, such as Marx, that's why you need a perpetual state of revolution. Because when the new group gains power, they will inherently do to the other group what has been done to them. Therefore, you need a new revolution. So when you talk about uh, you know, communist revolution. They're talking about a perpetual status. It's okay to have a dictator for a season. Eventually the dictator no, will no longer be needed. Then you can all live at peace, but eventually the corruption will happen again. And then you have to go through the site. Psych- it's a cyclical process of power, control, corruption, revolution, and maybe tiny, maybe a sliver of peace mm-hmm. somewhere in the middle of there. Uh, it's, it's a
0: malevolent it, view of the universe, I think in a pretty- yeah, very much so. <laughs>
1: Gary, you yeah, were going to
0: say something. What? What well, were you? Were you gonna
1: uh, well, I absolutely agree about that song. It's she's looking for a reason to stay in a time when you would look frowned upon if you stay. You know, but um, I, uh, I just a, just a real life example of this thing you're talking about, where experience is is all that people point to. Experience is all that's true, and your experience um, uh, is weighted based on which of these groups you belong to. This happens to me in. In discussions with SJWs all the time online. And so, if you've ever seen this happen, I, sometimes I like to show people who maybe aren't in this world as much like this is what they're doing. But if you're having a conversation with someone, this happened to me a couple weeks ago, disagreeing about something. And I think this woman was saying that because Trump was elected, that uh, people's lives were, their very lives were in danger. I, just one of those very hyperbolic things. And, um, and I and I was disagreeing with her, and she her response was, "You're denying my experience as a queer black woman." I'm like, "No, I'm not denying your experience. I'm disagreeing with your." Denying your conclusion. Yeah, I'm de- <laughs> yeah. I'm disagreeing with your opinion. It's a very different thing. And so, um, don't let them put those words in your mouth. Don't let them tell you what you're doing. I'm not. De- I don't know anything about your experience. Your experience is your experience. I'm saying your opinion is wrong, and here's the argument for why I believe it's wrong. Um, <laughs> But they use these it's it's like they have a series of magic words and phrases, and that's one of them. Mm-hmm. You're denying my experience. Another one, Joe, like you mentioned, um it's considered uh racist or sexist to even ask a, a a person in a marginalized group to explain or even just to ask them innocently like what like you said, what what is your opinion on this as a woman or um they will off they they call that emotional labor. So that's how they get out of that one. Mm-hmm. It's like it's emotional labor for me to. Uh, explain to you as an oppressed person to explain to an oppressor uh, you're asking me to do free work you know so but that's another again that's another Uh, way not to have to that's the that's a way that they avoid actually making an argument or to defending you know that's a way to avoid uh, defending their opinion
2: yeah well you're trying to force their experience their experience of what truth is and there's no difference between their experience and truth remember because those, those define so you're not arguing against their conclusion you in their worldview you are arguing against mm-hmm. their experience because there is no difference between their experience and truth and reality so that's how they see it and they're mm-hmm. very genuinely i think deluded but that's they're very genuine in that thing it I mean i mean, th- i I have to believe that there's some people that know that that's not true but oh yeah but i but i but uh but for the I think the people ingrained in this that are taught in this they don't understand the difference uh and, and that's that's what exactly it, what you're saying is kind of new words for me that they have to describe it they labor for their thing but that's a- uh, emotional labor uh, yeah yeah <laughs> emotional labor it's a new but it makes sense within their again their worldview and their their scheme how that fits together it's Hmm.
1: Could I ask a question? I, uh, I one part of your article that was really interesting to me, as as uh, Carter said, and he's he's outed me as a Christian before. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh-oh. just, kidding. Uh,
0: I'm so sorry, Carrie.
1: No, it's fine.
0: Work for it's a good thing you don't live religion. here in the Bay Area, or you would be, uh, it'd be hanged.
1: Well, uh, the only reason I say it that way is because I'm a new, very new Christian, and so I. Uh, i'm always, i guess i'm afraid of being a bad re- spoke a bad representation <laughs> so i'm always well, very careful to be like some hey some way we all
2: are some yes, so, so that's okay you know
1: so anyway my my uh my question about your article was i thought it was very interesting i said to carter after i read it that it you're essentially it seemed to me that you're you were arguing that um christ is an antidote to both racism and to an antidote to sjw uh, belief system would you say that that's your view, or I think we lost your audio.
0: Yeah, your audio disappeared.
1: Uh oh, so... Joe, we can't we hear you. It.
2: We lost him. Can you hear me
1: now. Yep.
2: Yeah. I switched off my Yeti for some reason. Something is conflicting with the uh, Google with the Chrome, and it's pulling off my Yeti mic. So i think google is just listening to the conversation yeah (laughs) it's probably not far from truth (laughs) um so hopefully it's uh, i'm sure it's not as a good uh good uh audio but at least you can hear me so that's better no but it works (laughs) so um so here's the thing uh when answer that question um, about jesus and again with respect to carter i know that we would have different frameworks for this and i'm on your show so i I don't want to be disrespectful of your, your, your views on this. I don't Um, care
0: that, I mean, it's called unsafe space. Talk about whatever you want. I'm not going to get into
2: it. (laughs) That's good. But, um, but so, yeah, I do believe. And from, from my perspective, I think, I think the nature of who we are in Christ as God or uh, God who created us is the only true worldview solution to this, because it's, it's the only, it's the only consistent uh, metaphysical, epistemological, uh, kind of worldview that that answers all of these questions equally in my view so for example if if we are inherent i i I like to i prefer the term of human sacredness over human dignity because human dignity is what's like the u.n resolution on human dignity but they 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 when they gave that statement uh, on what is the, the the sort of the consensus on human rights what they said was these are sort of the rights that we can all agree upon So it's only by cultural consensus that we say that people have these certain rights. It does not make any attempt at a a metaphysical grounding for why people have those rights. And it allows for the idea that those rights can change with culture. So it's not true. In some cultures it is okay to rape. In some cultures it is. And for the social justice world, it is okay to kill. In social justice, it is okay to do those things. And from there, if they that have the dominant cultural def, you know, definition of those things, then their definition of rights is no longer based on individuality. It's based on intersectionality, right? So that becomes the danger of saying we have no sort of ontological, metaphysical grounding for human sacredness. So what we have in the person of Jesus Christ is that if God created us with inherent worth, inherent sacredness, that I can't, even if I am in a moral MS-13 gang member, like I said earlier, even if I, you know, am a, a Trumpian type person who, uh, you know, savages people and, and has language that dehumanizes, regardless, I still don't lose my human sacredness. Even though I'm attacking somebody else's, I still have. I, as the person being attacked, still must treat that other person with an inherent worth, and so respond to them not in the way they treat me, but in a way that values who i believe god has made them and so when we have christ the incarnation of christ and we just talked about this yesterday on the we did a christmas special for off the cuff and we talked about the value of the incarnation of christ as god took on human form for the purpose of redemption by doing that he demonstrated there is an inherent sacredness to human nature that was valued so much by God that I don't have the right, regardless of how I feel or my experience, uh, to dehumanize or or do something evil to other or someone else in payment for what they've done to me. It doesn't mean I have to socially accept it. So for slavery, for example, that sort of mentality was used by the uh, segregationist southerners to uh, to justify oppression as well you know this is how you know god created us, all this sort of things so you have to bear with you know the way the world systems are no i don't have to accept injustice but to rectify injustice i am not permitted to do more injustice i have to i have to resolve injustice by still recognizing the inherent sacredness of other human beings and that's what i think i find only in the biblical revelation of how we were created and also the incarnation of christ and what that was what what the scripture says that was given to us for the purpose of why christ came so that's my way of i think uh, approaching this holistically uh that i think resolves that question carrie
0: i i i I, um i'm gonna surprisingly agree with most of what you you just said and i i don't it's not I don't want to get into a debate <laughs> about uh that's religion, fine, yeah. religion at all and I'm, I'm not a theologian. I, I understand um, yeah,
2: that's not the purpose uh, of the show and I agree that's not
0: where you want to. Yeah. Totally no, either. no, but um but I will say I agree with a lot of what you said in in the sense that um I do think it is I do think we have to ask ourselves why western culture evolved uh, on a a uh, Christian framework right? It, it was Christian thought and uh and even if you want to just call them deists, it was people yeah. uh, ensconced in that the Christian ethic that came up with this idea of looking at natural law and individual rights. And I do think um, just as, a, as an outsider, right, I'm neither a philosopher nor a theologian. Uh, I see that, you know, philosophy did a, a pretty decent job, at least in the West, of uh, tearing down Christianity uh, over the past, you know, couple centuries, really, but it, it's been a long, you know, culturally, there's, it's been really uh, a negative impact to, to Christians, uh, the yeah. existence of philosophy, and, and, um, but what philosophy didn't do, which I think is required, is, um, is, is exactly what you said is necessary, which is they didn't develop a, a system that was consistent meta- uh, metaphysically and epistemologically with, to, to replace it, so I think um, it's very difficult for people who uh, if you don't have religion, you you end up uh, you end up often just kind of absorbing random ideas culturally and philosophically, mm-hmm. and whoever's controlling the universities kind of is ultimately uh, responsible for feeding you those ideologies, and you don't have that consistency. And so, you know, another show, perhaps we could yeah. we could debate whether or not yeah. that. Uh, that consistency is, is necessarily from Christianity, but I do agree that, that, that philosophic consistency and that foundation is necessary. Mm -hmm. And I think it's lacking in every mainstream ideology or every mainstream philosophy other than, than Christianity. Um, and I think it's a lot of work to acquire that on your own if, uh, if you're not a Christian. So uh, so we'll yeah. we'll agree on that. I I don't want to end on a sad note, but I want to <laughs> ask you about something because uh, well, I'm the I'm the father of a nine year old daughter, and I read something in your article that broke my heart.
2: Oh, um, I know what you're talking
0: about. I, that, yeah. I uh, I'm gonna try not to tear up. Uh, I'm with can you. Tell I... us about Mackenzie Nicole Adams. I had no idea about this, and it just. It broke my heart, and I again, I don't want to
2: end on a bad note, yeah. but I don't want to not talk about it because it's really yeah that. So I actually inserted that little story as an illustration after I published the original article because I had read it, and I think um, people reading what I wrote in, in my article on you know choosing to combat racism, racism by not becoming one and the neo-Marxist framework, and all these social justice work people, people think that there's a, uh, you know, I'm distorting or deforming what these people are, are really saying. And I think you guys probably get that same thing too. No one really says that. You guys are just, you know, you're creating straw man arguments and such. But I right. thought, here's a story that, I mean, I w- I'm i with you too, Carter. I, I read this story and it was one that really devastated me emotionally. I I mean, it was hard for me to even reap post what this story is with this young girl, just because of the emotional uh, anguish it creates. But I think people need to understand, this is why I speak against this neo-Marxist social justice warrior framework. It's not because I dislike those people. It's not a as we've said a christian versus non-christian you know atheist kind of thing it's not a republican democrat this is a philosophy that dehumanizes and destroys based on categories of intersectionality this is essentially this girl's story is that uh, this young girl in the uk uh, she was nine years she was nine years old was it nine years old or ninth grade i
0: yeah she was nine yeah she yeah. was not yeah
2: her name is Mackenzie Nicole Adams. And ba- and so what happened was she was in a school and she's a black uh, uh, young girl, uh, you know, and so she's black and she made a friend with another nine-year-old boy who was white. And her other black friends who are being raised in this system of philosophy this neo-marxist system of worldview the way of viewing the world told her basically that she, they bullied her and they were attacking her and they told her quote that they should you should kill yourself you think you're white because you ride with that white boy you ugly black n-word i'm assuming just die
0: it was it was actually a female dog word but oh yeah.
2: okay i didn't know because i didn't even see it, it was all blank They didn't give any letters in the story i wrote but uh you know i've heard that my my friend leroy gets those other things because he doesn't have those views but this 9 year old little girl because she dared to have friends with somebody of a different skin color was told that she wasn't a real black girl that she was trying to be white as if whiteness and this is why i reject in the article terms like whiteness or all those sort of white power things, because you cannot use those words without adopting this framework. And they bullied this girl into hanging herself.
0: I I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine a nine year old girl hanging herself at all and, and being that bullied. And I mean, the stuff they said, kill yourself, just die, blah, blah. It's, um, it's really heartbreaking. And it, and like you said, it's an illustration that, uh, this ideology has consequences, and I think you know her story is, is a great yeah. example of just uh, you know you she's innocent, right? You can't yeah. you can't att- att- you can't attribute any anything ill to a nine year old girl um, befriending someone, and uh, and you know, and it's not just that you know I think other people will be like, oh, that's just bullying, but it's a kind of bullying that you know most bullying is frowned upon, but this is a kind of bullying that is not condemned by a social
2: justice. That's that's the other tragedy in this, not just that her life uh, was so devalued that she had so little value for herself that she took her own life, but the sorrow in this is also that the culture itself that accepts this neo-Marxist framework of racism and defines it so poorly, this is justice because you've eliminated a human being who dared to challenge this intersectionality framework. She, they were happy. Those children were happy to have her take her own life because she was compromised. She no longer had value because she, she went outside these groups that are, and her value was only in the group. Now, people would say, oh, that's not true again, but, but where have you heard People that are social justice warriors decry this. I have not read it. Maybe somebody somewhere did, but I have not read anything from leading people uh, that lead this movement because for them this has to be swept under the rug. Because the truth is, and I I know how I sound when I say this, the truth is there there are the leaders in this group are not grieved by this story. No, they are not sad. No, by this I and, and Carrie Publicly, and I they disagree with they are. This sometimes about publicly they'd say they
0: were not well-meaning they're 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 doing this intentionally
1: i think that they're well yeah carter and i disagree on this to some extent because in my experience in the movement there's two i would say roughly two types of people the ones who are leading the movement as you said the leaders are not agreed by this absolutely agree the leaders the people at the forefront the the um people who make money off of the belief system who i call professional sjw's um most of those people and just anecdotal experience people have they're, they're they don't have good intent and I don't believe that I, I believe they know what this is but they are the thing they value most is power and so yep. um and 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 this ideology is is a um, a means to an end of attaining more power for themselves but then there are also people and this is where card and I disagree is I do believe there are, um, and this makes me very sad is that there I think there are a lot of people in the movement who are out there being used as uh, puppets? Who are being used as as uh, spokespeople for it? Who are spreading the good word, you know, of SJWism? And those, a lot of those people are well intentioned. I do believe um, some of them are well intentioned, and they've just been, they've, uh, they've been. It's it's almost like. Um, uh, these words that you're talking about, like grooming, they've been groomed. They've mm-hmm. been told that this very racist, very sexist, very hateful and very evil. I believe it's a very evil ideology. They've been told that it's the opposite of all those things. And yeah. so in order to be anti-racist or to be anti-sexist or to be, um, uh, someone who's against hatred that they need to go out and preach this thing. And, and yeah. which is, it's incomprehensible to me that it makes me very sad because I know, I know well-intentioned people who, are still wrapped up in it and who, or who believe maybe certain tenets of it. Maybe I wouldn't say, or the whole, you know, in the whole bag, but they believe certain parts of it who, who use these words, these phrases that um, I think are, 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 I don't know. I think it's a dangerous thing to start speaking in some of, some of their language. So uh, just to to, clarify,
0: I don't think we disagree on that, Carrie. I think you got, I, I think know. you convinced me about the, the two different categories of people <laughs> in, the, in the movement. So.
2: Oh, good. Well, mm-hmm. then I've gained new respect for you, Carter. You agree with Carrie. <laughs> 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 She's, nice. So, so she is so above Joe, you when the one one categories one. of, you know, so I, that's, I, you have to, <laughs> you're in line. So I, I, let me just yeah, say, I, I, I know you want to close. How much you, time to do you have,
0: Joe? Because we've got a, we've got a question from a, I'm a chat person, but I don't want to. I don't want to keep. Going I, I can go for a few leave.
2: more minutes, and I and I, I do have a positive way of closing on this because I don't want to end on a negative note either. But I'll take a question. Yeah, first, I, I'd like to
0: both positive, but but if if you don't mind, someone asked no. um to you. Uh, do you have any opinion on Jordan Peterson's views of religion?
2: Yeah, so Jordan Peterson is an interesting guy. Um, I think he is. He's an for those that don't know, he's an atheist uh, professor of psychology coming out of. Uh, Canada and he has spoke out he's spoken out uh, quite forcefully on against this sort of thing we're talking about today the social justice warrior, the categorization of, of human beings by group, all these sort of things and he refuses to sort of kowtow to this what he uh, believes is a dangerous thing. Um, I think I've, I've, I've seen him talk on those issues and I think he in the field of psychology he has a lot of brilliant insight, and I'm—I've uh, learned some good things from his perspective on that. Um, when he gets into the area, uh, other areas of philosophy uh, and religion, I think he's out of his field a little bit, uh, which is okay. I mean, you know, there's there's always good conversation to have when we venture out of our field of expertise. So I don't, I don't begrudge him on that. I'm not saying he shouldn't speak out in those areas, but I think his view view of religion um, is a bit utilitarian uh, and. I would disagree with that utilitarian nature of religion. Although if we categorize broadly the idea of atheism could be a religion or social justice, neo-Marxism could be a religion. If you talk about it broadly like that, you know, I can see where he's coming. If by religion, you mean Christianity specifically, I think there's reasons that I wouldn't, uh, I I would deal with Christians, the the idea of Christian uh, theology worldview distinct from how I would define some religious broadly speaking worldviews so i would make a distinction between those that i think is is valid but that, that's a whole other show but broadly i like peterson i think he has a lot of good things to say um outside of his field of psychology uh i would take you just have to realize he's speaking out of his expertise and uh and, and doesn't always have a good grasp of, of of some of the uh nuances in those other areas
1: i would say he's a good would, gateway drug though to christianity because you know be, yeah yeah, you get hooked on Peterson. Yeah, Next thing is, you know, you're searching out Ravi Zacharias and the yeah. and looking for Tim Keller videos. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah I, I was just gonna say he um. I, first of all, I don't. He doesn't describe himself as an atheist. He explicitly says he's not an atheist, and he doesn't yeah, know anyone you're right, think. is an atheist. Yeah, um, you're right. I've, I've but, listened uh, to his
2: discussions of that. I still not sure if that's how to process his distinction. But anyway, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I
0: completely disagree with his whole concept and argument about it. About the distinction between atheism and 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 Christianity. So, I, I I think he's out of his element there. But I I will say in his is his defense, um, both Jordan Peterson and um, Stefan Molyneux have influenced me by making me more sympathetic to Christianity. Um, yeah, kind of as as Carrie was saying, because you know, I'm an atheist. Stefan's an, an atheist. Jordan, no matter what he calls himself, certainly isn't. Uh, the, the your he's typical a, a is a non-theist i guess man <laughs>
2: sure.
0: sure um but they have both given me uh more um appreciation for for christianity and some of the things yeah. that's contributed to society so he's he's got that going for him if you're a christian yeah. <laughs> he's probably bringing people over as carrie said yeah,
2: yeah and i think that's a good transition to uh, at least a final thought if there's no other questions specifically that uh ending sort of a kind of little bow on a cute Few things earlier in the show we never got to the question you asked me about like should we all pack it up and go home and are we should what's what's the what's the end game here or are we fighting a losing battle type thing and I think that ties in a little bit with uh, the clear concession you made to Carrie about how she bullied you into accepting there are people with good intentions um, you know I'm glad. You- uh, but uh, if you tie those two things together, I think that's our to saying there is a positive direction we can go with this. And there's a purpose for doing a show like you guys have for what we're attempting to do on off the cuff. Um, and uh, for anybody else out there who wants to do these kind of things, we all have our sphere of influence and there's people that I think may be confused or believe certain things and, and they are well, I have very, I have quite a few uh, Christian friends that I've known for 20 years that are buying into some of these things and it's and it's funny because it's almost like they don't want to hear anything from me because they've accepted these the way of categorizing so they're almost closed the conversation even though we have long-standing relationships but I don't want to give up on them and I and I have lost lots of friends on Facebook uh, younger Christians who have in their Christian worldview have accepted this neo-Marxist framework and then reinterpret their Christianity as Niebuhr did, in light of you know giving primacy to this you neo-Marxist know, metaphysic and almost postmodern you know uh, epistemology, uh, and they've just defriended me because I don't I don't accept the categories and I don't accept this, so that's heartbreaking. There's a lot of pressure for them to
0: do that in in yeah. the- defense. They're under a tremendous amount of social pressure.
2: Yeah. Virtue signaling. You have to show that you believe the right things by saying the right things and decrying the right people. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that there is, there is hope for those who are uh, younger people who are really, there's been some good signals I understand from, you know, people in their teens, early twenties that are realizing the flaws of these things. Uh, And so there's an important role that we can play in having these conversations especially and this is my final thought is and i'm glad to hear you say this Carter, Is you know the new atheists like dawkins and stuff they're they're vitriol they're dawkins is a terrible philosopher uh i mean his books are so full of chock full of philosophical error but but he's justified because he has the right he signals the right virtues he attacks the right people but he's a terrible uh philosopher and i don't say that be, as a christian i say that as a, as a philosopher he, even philo- atheist philosophers recognize this and the point there being that there's a new kind of ph- atheist philosopher uh, or that are non theist maybe of whatever the label people want that are more like the older atheist philosophers that recognize that there's an important dialogue we can have and we can argue and we can disagree and we can have stuff but there's also points where we can have agreement like you and I Carter in this area uh, along with Kerry uh, on this sort of Dangers of the social justice, you neo know, Marxist worldview stuff. Um, we can agree with that and still disagree on other things. And I don't have to vilify you. I don't have to call you names or say, well, he's this or that, and decry your lack of intellectual rigor and just the kind of stuff that works on Twitter and that wins arguments on Twitter, but not in real life. I'm
0: way. white. I don't know why don't you, you don't use that against me right away. Yeah.
2: Well, I should. <laughs> well, because I didn't want to assume your race, but it was part of the problem.
0: Ah, I, I do identify as a large empty room. So
2: Yeah, so exactly. So <laughs> I think there's a lot of positive hope here. Um, I think especially as the conversation, as you guys continue on your show, um, which I think is good because it shows that it's not Republican. We have to get rid of the, the false dichotomies, you know, atheist versus Christian, Republican versus Democrat, um, you know, who you voted for versus who you didn't vote for. And, you know, those are such arbitrary, random, subjective, and meaningless categories um, when it comes to discussions. I mean, they have meaning, you know, like Christian, non-Christian, that, that has a meaningful designation, but not when it comes to conversation. And Not
0: know, when it comes uh, to saving Western civilization and, and having an, an environment where we, can, we have freedom and, and respect for individuals and yeah. can have these conversations, yeah. what we both want. Yeah, I can still value
2: as a human being, and I have my framework for it, and I have to do that, regardless of your our disagreements on stuff. And man, that's what we have to start fighting for. And I think we can win in that. I think we can win in that arena. I think there's hope for us in that arena. And uh, I, I encourage you guys keep up your dialogue. So I, I I do have a positive, even though I get discouraged in moments of this thing. I do ultimately have a positive outlook. And I and I pray for a positive result in some of these things. Um, and and the, that's sometimes my only hope too, as <laughs> prayer. Oh gosh, let it work out because <laughs> I don't see a way necessarily, but I, I have hope there's a way.
0: Well, that's a, a great positive note I think to end on because we are uh, over on time technically. Yeah. Um, I've really enjoyed this discussion. I think it's been a delightful discussion. Um, so I really thank you for for joining and and we should probably have you back to talk about some other fun. Yeah, stuff let me know
2: anytime. I'd love to be back, we'll talk with you guys, and then. You know, be a part of encouraging what I think I see you guys doing. I'm not totally familiar with everything, but I'll try to keep track and, and follow you guys a little bit and see where. It well, goes. we
0: secretly sacrifice babies on our other channel, but uh, <laughs> I, don't know, that's, that's right.
2: I was about to say nope. that no no puppies or kittens were harmed in the making never. of this show. There's another positive, but okay.
1: <laughs> um, Joe, I was going right, to say. Well, thank th- you.
2: Oh, go ahead, Carrie.
1: Oh no, never mind. I can tell him afterwards. It was very nice to meet you. It
2: was nice to meet you as well. <laughs>
0: Both of you. It was a pleasure to meet you. It was a pleasure to talk to you, and it was a pleasure to have you uh, on the show. So, uh, thanks again, and um, thanks everyone else for watching. Uh, Carrie and I do Deprogrammed every Thursday at 11 a.m. live on YouTube, so you can find us. Uh, our channel name is Unsafe Space, and we have a Deprogrammed Facebook page and Unsafe Space fa- fa- Facebook page. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Unsafe Show and go to unsafeshow.com. So thanks again, everyone. And uh, we'll be back, but I can wish you m- Merry Christmas. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm supposed to say happy holidays. Uh, have, a, have a good holiday, but uh, we'll be back before, before Christmas. So um, see you all then.